Worship is a very busy place. Have a lot of things going on today. I happen to be wearing the uh, T-shirt we're going to be wearing in the parade tonight. This is a small. Yeah, and it's got nice words on the back too. So uh, it, it's a beautiful T-shirt, and uh, I'm a professional model, so that's all there is to it. So off with the shirt and on with the teaching. And the back of the shirt says, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18. And I'm sure all the CBC kids quoted that right along with me. Okay, we'll get that back to the rightful owner. They're usually five bucks, that one's 14. Okay, let's, let's pray because I need it. Lord Jesus, uh, thank you for all the souls here today. Good turnout on a beautiful day, Lord. Boy, thanks for this weather. Uh, you're a merciful God. Um, and, uh, you know, you brought us a harsh winter, but uh, the sun shines. And we, we thank you for this weather. It's been very pleasant, Lord. Uh, we thank Pastor James. Uh, we ask you to refresh him, revitalize him and his family on vacation, Lord, and I think Marv's out today. Of course, yeah, he's out, and uh, he's having a vacation day, too. So if you just refresh him, that'd be great. Lord, uh, open our eyes to your word here today in Acts, and uh, we say you're a magnificent God. Amen. So we're going to be in Acts 17. And we were in 17 last week, and we're going to pick up in verse 16. And there it says, And while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the Gentile worshipers in the marketplace daily with those that happened to be there. So this is Paul waiting for them. Who's them? This is uh, Silas and Timothy. And uh, Paul had to kind of get out of town early in Berea because the folks in Thessalonica weren't happy with him. They followed him down to Berea and said, this guy's a no good Nick. And for his own safety, they uh, sent him to Athens. And Silas and Timothy have been commanded to, to come. And they will show up in time in Athens. Um, Let's just talk about Athens a little bit. Um, Athens was the crown jewel of the Greek empire. And it was a big empire. Um, It covered most of the known world about 100 years before this. Alexander the Great was their king general. And and he was was good. He was quite the conqueror. And uh, Athens was the crown jewel capital of the Greek Empire, and it was magnificent. It had gorgeous public buildings, uh, a lot of temples there. 
They had a God for everything. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. And one of their own philosophers says, it's easier to find a God in Athens than to find a man. So they had plenty of temples. Um, they had a forum. The Romans may have brought that in at that time, but they, they had a forum. They had a huge stadium. This is the country that gave us the Olympics. So, you know, they liked their athletes, too. They had a huge stadium. Um, theaters, all kinds of theaters. They liked drama. So this was one of the seven wonders of the world, Athens. And if you see artist renditions of this town, it looks so gorgeous. I want to go every time I see it. You know, they've got, uh, did you guys learn the columns when you were in school? There was the, the Doric column and there was the uh, Corinthian column. Somebody help me with the last one. Roman? Was it Roman? Ionic? I think Ionic's in there someplace. Doric. Doric, thank you. Doric. Yeah. So we got the columns figured out and they had a lot of them. And beautiful city on hills, and it had the Acropolis, had the Agora, and it was just a jewel. And uh, they, they liked that stuff, and they liked their gods. They had plenty of gods there. And Paul came to the city, and, you know, he's a missionary, and he saw all these idols, and he was provoked in his spirit. And I don't think he was angry as he was energized. Wow, we got all these people here. We got this beautiful city. They're learned and they're wasting their time on these uh, dumb statues. So he got busy and uh, he went to the synagogue, as was his nature. Was That was his first move to go see the Jews because they had the basics. They had the basics. They had the Old Testament. They knew about the one God. They knew about how gracious and powerful he was. So. They knew about a Messiah that would come someday. So they were prepped. He could go there and preach Jesus and plug him in all the, all the Messiah spots. And a lot, of them, a lot of them believed he was a persuasive teacher. And it says also there were Gentile worshipers here, uh, probably associated with the synagogue. They were probably proselytes, people that had come to the Jewish faith from uh, the Gentiles. Uh, they had uh, good knowledge, too, from the Old Testament. And Paul could work with them, you know, plugging Jesus into the scriptures. And it wasn't a huge leap for them to come to act in the belief that uh, Jesus was the Messiah. But then he took this giant step. This, this town was in such bad shape. He'd go to the Agora. He'd go to the marketplace and just start preaching cold turkey. Hey, buddy, want to learn about Jesus? Huh? What? We do, we do a lot of gods here. No, he would talk to people about God, about Jesus, and he just had a lot of work to do. He was provoked by the situation. There was tremendous need there. They're wasting their time on all these idols, and the Lord said, you probably need to go to the marketplace and get to the public here. So he did, and he's doing it without his buddies. He doesn't have Silas or Timothy. He's solo, but he's on a job. And it said, how often did he do that? He did that daily. He did that daily. Gosh, if I talk to somebody about Jesus once a month, I think I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> he did it daily. In a situation where they didn't know much about the Jewish background, about one God, about a Messiah. So he was, he was undaunted and he was teaching. 
So in 18 it says, uh, Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and some said, What does this babbler want to say? What's this babbler want to say? Um, two groups we have here of philosophers. I'm sure there were more, but this is kind of the array and spectrum of the pendulum of uh, philosophers in Athens at that time. The Epicureans were hedonists, uh, let the good times roll. Um, you know, it feels good, do it. That's kind of the philosophy. And uh, they thought there was no more moral consequence for that. Their view of eternal destiny was one and done. Once you die, you're gone. That's it. There's, there's no judgment. There's no nothing. Your soul's annihilated, even if you have a soul. And uh, there's, there's no consequence for your life. So why not have fun? But uh, these were Athenians. They were cultured, especially this, uh, this group. And we're going to talk about the group, the Areopagus, and just in the next paragraph. These guys were cultured. So when, when you do your hedonistic thing, when you're going for all the gusto and uh, you want to have a good time, you're kind of delicate about it. You, you don't overeat, but you eat a lot. And if you want food, go, go get some. If your body says do it, do it. Uh, materialism, yeah, have, have some stuff. Have some stuff. They were good in America because they were very materialistic. And, hey, if you want stuff, go get it. There's, you know, there's not much consequence. Don't go broke doing it, but, hey, have some stuff. Sex? Sure. Yeah. They had uh, folks at the temples that would uh, be accommodating to those wishes. And that was part of their religion at certain temp- at temples. So they, good time was pretty much where they were at. Then there's the Stoics. We got the Stoics. They're kind of on the other end of this uh, array of philosophers. They thought uh, self-mastery was the thing. Control your body. Uh, emotion is a bad thing. Stay on course. Listen, listen to your body. Be healthy. Be an athlete. Take care of yourself mentally and physically. And... Don't let the emotions get in the way. And when I was studying this, uh, I thought of uh, Mr. Spock on uh, Star Trek. Wasn't he the non-emotional guy? Okay, Kirk. Park, park the happiness. We've got a mission to do here. Don't, don't be so out of control, Kirk. We're, we're going to go in there and take care of the whatever it is. Uh, he was the rational mind. That's what these guys, the Stoics, were. And uh, their view of the afterlife, hey, one and done. You're here for a while, and then you're gone. So that's, that's the array we have in these philosophers and everything in between. So these guys saw Paul down in the marketplace, and uh, they said, what's this, what's this guy trying to get across to us here? He's saying some strange things. He's talking about resurrection, resurrection and... Uh, Gosh, Son of God, walk on water. Whoa, heals people, bring them back from the dead. We need to know some more about this. We need to make sure this is legitimate. And they called him a babbler. They called him a babbler. That means he's an amateur. He's not as sophisticated as they are. 
And uh, they, they wanted to really know what he was saying. They didn't want him spreading all kinds of uh, bad doctrine in the city. They wanted to check him out. So a babbler in the Greek is somebody that picks up seeds like, like a chicken. Like a chicken. Raise your hand if you have chickens. Higher. Okay, this is Chicken Chapel. I, I know we have a lot of chickens here. And it's good. It's real good. My son Owen just got chickens, and I've observed chickens, and, and they are pickers. They go in their little pen, and they're... They're picking. They're, they're getting... Bu- what, are they, what are they eating? Bugs and seeds? Okay, bugs and seeds. Uh, that's my diet. So, uh, but I like chickens. They taste pretty good. Uh, they're doing something right. But they called him this babbler, and that meant he was a picker. And they th- thought all the amateur philosophers were taking pickings from other philosophers. I like that item in his philosophy. I like this uh, item in his philosophy. And they would roll it into their branded uh, own philosophy. And they, they thought that was very amateuristic and uh, maybe plagiarism. And they didn't have much respect for an amateur. So um, these guys are listening and they call him a babbler. And others said in uh, the end of 18 here, he seems to be, uh, be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and resurrection. So they're thinking there are two concepts here when it's really one. Uh, they're a little confused on this and they wanted to know more. So in 19, it says, And they took him and brought him before the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine, new doctrine is of which you speak. For you are bringing strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear new things. And the Areopagus was uh, a collection of philosophers. They must have been the chief philosophers in the city. And they kind of regulated what was going to be taught in the city. They didn't want, you know, babblers just going all over the place willy-nilly. They wanted to make sure what he was talking about had some credence, although it was strange to them. So they were going to listen to what he had to say. They were going to kind of sit in judgment and see if he had something to say to the people that wasn't damaging and safe. So they invited him up uh, so he could have his say and, and present there at the Areopagus. Um, and these philosophers were the idle rich. There were two classes, the very rich and the very poor. And these guys had money and all they had to do and, and what they liked to do was sit around and hear new ideas and, and talk about philosophy and, and do math and science and, and things like that. They were very erudite. And they wanted to make sure that this Paul guy wasn't too far afield. So they would check him out. And they were kind of, uh, what do we want to say here? They were kind of info junkies. They wanted to make sure that they were up to speed on everything going on in the world. And foreigners would come in. They'd heard about these forums and the, the Areopagus, and it would be a great thing just to go there and sit and listen to these learned minds 
talk about the new things that were going on and brush up on the old philosophies and find out what Aristotle and, and uh, those guys were talking about, uh, Plato, and some of the big minds came, came out of uh, Athens. So it was a privilege to go there. And uh, when I was in college, we, we had guys like this, and I went during the Vietnam War, and some of those guys hung around a long time. I, I don't want to say that they were extending their deferments any, but, uh, you know, I think we called them professional students. They, they liked it there, and they stayed there, and uh, they knew how to play the game, and they were learning. They were learning. So, you know, that was an easy thing to do, was keep paying the money and keep learning. So, I think we like that. What are you guys doing here today? You're here to learn, aren't you? Boy, I hope that happens. Hope <laughs> I'm good enough that you learned something. So, we like it too. There's a certain endorphin. There's certain enjoyment uh, out, of, out of learning. You know, I learned something today. It wasn't a total waste. I learned something today. So, that's what they're all about. That's what they're all about. This is what they do day in and day out go up to one of those hills and one of those beautiful buildings and listen to these guys. Make sure we don't have too many babblers running around. So in 22, it says, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that uh, in all these things you are very religious, for I have passed through considering the objects of your worship And I have even found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God, to an unknown God. He's getting ready with his presentation here, and he's he's pretty elegant, pretty elegant. Uh, He says, I understand that you're very religious. You're very religious. I see a temple on every corner. You have gods for everything. And these Athenians did understand that there was something more and beyond them. You know, they were, they were smart, but they can't make it rain. They were smart, but they, they can't create mountains. They were smart, but they can't do life. That came from someplace else. And they assigned all these particulars to particular gods. So in our infinite minds, we, or in our finite minds, we can't understand how one God can do everything, you know. He's got a lot of plates in the air. He must need a lot of gods. So, especially this life thing and, and the fertility thing and all the things we need done. We'll just assign a god to all this and, and we'll have it all covered. So, they want to make sure they had it all covered. So, what if we're missing one? Unknown god. Kind of the catch-all temple to the unknown god. So, Paul saw that on his way to the Arapagus and he works it in. Works it into his presentation. He's uh, very clever here as he uh, makes his presentation. He uses this uh, phrase, objects of your worship. He didn't call them dumb old stone gods. (laughs) He was a little more diplomatic and political about that. I've I've noticed that your objects of worship uh, make you very, very religious. He's a smooth guy. Smooth guy. That's a great phrase. Objects of worship to the unknown God. Um, then he's going to start his presentation here. He says, therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing the unknown God, I will proclaim to you. God who made the world 
and everything in it. That's part of what the unknown God is doing. This one God created everything that you see. Created everything that you see. And we just talked about the fact that they assign a God for every little thing. That's a mind blower for them. One, one guy did all this? Sorry, sorry, Lord. <laughs> one God did all this? Yeah, one God did all this. this. This guy's big. This guy's powerful. Very powerful. Um, it says, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, as though he, he's powerful. He takes care of himself. He entertains himself. He's self-sufficient. In fact, he's so powerful and so self-sufficient that he gives us things. He gives us things. He gives us air to breathe. He gives us water from the sky. He gives us soil, sunshine, everything that we need to carry on life. He doesn't need to be in a temple. He's bigger than that. He's, he's got a nice place. He's got a real nice place. He's, he's out there in heaven. Did you ever see those pictures from the Hubble telescope of uh, these nebulae? We had an opportunity a few weeks ago to uh, go down to the Creation Museum, and we went to their planetarium, and they had some great pictures of these nebulae. Beautiful colors, and in the background you have stars and galaxies, and when I was a kid, they talked about galaxies. There might be a hundred of them, and then with more technology, there might be a thousand of them. Well, the latest number is billions. Billions. So God's pretty entertained. I, I look at these pictures of nebulae and it looks like a lava lamp. You know, God's entertained. He's got a light show going on all the time. He, do, he doesn't need these limestone temples because he's got it going on with light and angels and just doesn't need this cramped, this cramped temple thing in Athens. They're, they're good looking, but he's, he can outdo you here. Okay, so... Doesn't need anything. He's entertaining himself. He gives us stuff. He doesn't need so-called priests to come in and put sacrifices in front of him, gifts. Uh, he doesn't have any needs. He's, he's all taken care of. And this is really foreign to the Athenians. Gosh, you've got, you've got to please these gods. You've got to give them stuff. Nope, not this unknown God. Self-sufficient, in fact, he gives you stuff. Yeah. That's a better God, isn't it? Yes, it is. Okay. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. He gives uh, life, he gives to all life, breath, to all things, for all things. Okay, we've got the inanimate world. That's, that's hard to understand. We're, we're just all coming from. Now we have the complexity of life. Who did that? Who's in charge of that? Who's regulating that? Who was the mastermind that did fish? And we went to a zoo the other day with grandkids. A lot of stuff there. A lot of beautiful stuff. Birds. He's got creations that fly. Not bad. This guy's a genius. This guy's got imagination. And the colors on the birds were fantastic. Wow. You think you had artists in uh, Athens? Check out a toucan. They are brilliant. Parrots. Goldfinches, that's nice. That's nice stuff. He does that. He's a smart guy. Smart guy. He gives life and breath everything that's alive. Just one God does that. Your unknown God does that. 
Okay. And he made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. I don't think the Athenians liked hearing this because they thought they were pretty hot stuff. And every man, every man came from a common ancestor. Yeah. Yeah. God made a woman. And they had kids. And everybody blossomed out of that relationship. So you Athenians, you think you're pretty, pretty hot stuff, but you're like the guy down the street at the bottom of the hill. You're like the guy over there in Palestine. You're like the guy in North Africa. Common ancestor. All equal before God. All equal before God. And I think it was a heartbreaker for the Athenians. They, they thought because they, they were thinking, erudite thoughts, had these beautiful buildings, great athletes. They were, they were something. Well, yeah, you are kind of, but in the eyes of God, you're just kind of, a, kind of another, another soul. But he loves you. But he does love you. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Okay. And has determined and pre-appointed times and boundaries for their dwellings. Talking about man. The Athenians, the Greeks, had this fantastic, fantastic empire. And we talked about a little bit of uh, Alexander the Great and everything he did. Fantastic general. Conquered, you know, two-thirds of the world, maybe more. And... Uh, he was brilliant. Oh, he's a great general. Then the Romans came along and defeated, defeated them, and, you know, there was somebody after them. Who regulates that? Smart generals? No. This unknown God regulates that. He judges the nation as he sees fit. He runs the empires for his opportunity and his purpose. This unknown God is managing politics. Managing politics, managing borders, pre-appointing times. He's got the timetable going for what's happening right now in the world. And it is active, unfortunately. Uh, and sadly, it is brutal. It's brutal. Okay. Um, 27. So they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might... Grope for him and find him, though he is not far away from each one of us. Paul is listing all the great qualities of this unknown God. And I think I've listed four or five of them there that are, are pretty amazing. And great things to have in your God. And yeah, yeah, this is, this is a worthwhile God. And why don't you look for him? It uses the term grope here. Um... Look around for him. We know the term uh, terms from the New Testament that says, knock, seek, and ask. Knock, seek, and ask. Look for God. He's not far away. He wants to be found. Ever play hide and seek with the kids? You know, after a while, they don't find them. They kind of look around. Hey, hey, over here. Somebody, Ali, uh, Ali, Ixnay, all come in free. You know, they, they want to be found. I hid too good. God wants to be found. Look around for him a little bit. He's not far away. That's what it says right here. He's not far away. He's not far away from each one of us. Each one of us. Where's that come down to? Where's the focus on each one of us? Each one of us. About right here? About right here. That's kind of relationship, isn't it? 
I'm interested in nations. I'm interested in cities. I'm interested in empires. But most of all, I'm interested in Ron Armstrong. That's where I want to be. Ron, look around a little bit. I'm not far from you. Do a little grouping. You'll find me. I'm embarrassing Ron again. He can take it. That's a good God. That's a quality God. I like this God. I think I'm going for him. Yeah. Keep Zeus over there. I'm going for this one. Okay. Okay, in 28. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Also his offspring. He cares about us because we're related. We're related. We have this great thing inside of us called the image of God. I'll call it our spirit. Our spirit. And unfortunately, it's dead because Adam and Eve, that first guy that he made, made some mistakes. And our spirit is kind of born dead, still born within us. But Jesus Christ can make it alive. Hey, look for me. Grope a little bit. I'm, o- I'm over here. I can touch your spirit and make it alive. Don't count me out. I, I can do that. I'm God. I like your spirit. It's just like mine. I want to make it alive. So, yeah. Yeah, and your poets have said we're related. This is your guy saying that. We're related. Okay, there's that relationship thing again. Okay, now in 29. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature, capitalized, is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devices or devising. You know, our essence is much better than stone and gold and silver. We have the essence of God. We have an eternal spirit. And... What a benefit that is. And God wants to make sure that our eternal spirit is with him in heaven. Is with him in heaven. So he asks us to grope around and and find him. Take care of that. Okay, in 30, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man he has ordained. He has given assurance of this by raising him from the dead. Okay, I think we're going to lose a few Athenians here. Might lose a lot every time you talk about this in the world, in the marketplace. Truly, these times of ignorance, God overlooked. The Athenians, their pride was their mind. And Paul says, you you guys are ignorant. You guys are ignorant. You're wasting all your time on this gold and stone and silver. There's a God that wants more. There's a God that wants you. There's a God that wants that essence within you, the valuable part of you. He wants to breathe life into. You've, uh, You've been a little ignorant. Athenians, oh man, that, that cut him to the quick. And God overlooked it mercifully. He says, God overlooked your ignorance. 
but now com- commands all men everywhere to repent, to repent. You know, this, this carefree life of the Stoic and the Epicurean where there's no consequence, the gods ask no moral uh, responsibility from these people. You know why? They made their own gods. They made their own gods. We need a God that takes care of the thunder. And you know what? We don't need a God that's going to tell us what to do and when to do it. We'll just have him take care of the thunder. This unknown God's got a little more substance to it. Thinking a little deeper. You can have anything you want if you're making your own gods. Just make more of them. But no moral consequence. What kind of God is that? That's a weak God. That's a stone God. Yes. Calls all men to repent. All men to repent. Godly sorrow leading to a change. Leading to a change. Um, The Athenians wanted to keep right on doing it. They had it together. They were having fun. But this unknown God, the God of the heavens, the God doesn't need a temple, the God that manages empires, says, it's going to be better for you guys if you adhere to my code. It's going to be a lot better life for you guys. And that's what I want for you. That's what I want for you. I want a relationship. I'm not far from each one of you. Repent. It won't be hard. Repent. It won't be hard. My life got better when I repented. I thought I, thought I was having a pretty good time. Wow, you know what? I really like waking up with no hangover. It's so nice. Ah, mm. Every day is fresh. I don't have a headache. I repented. I repented. And for years I thought, oh man, if I go back to church, it'll be boring. I remember going to church as a kid. I just had to sit still. And I didn't get anything out of it. Some of it was in another language. Oh my, I wasn't getting much out of that. But I repented. And I, I, like, I like God. And I like my friends. He's right. He had the best in mind for me. He did have the best. He's not far away. Grope around for him. You'll find him. He must be found. Okay. Um, and we talked about he pointed, he pointed a day. And he will judge the world in righteousness by a man he has ordained. Yes. And he's talking about Jesus here. Um, Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus lived under the law. How do, you, how do you get to be a judge in this country? And in most countries, what, what do you have to study to become a judge? Uh, did I hear it? Law? Law. Jesus beat him. He lived the law. He lived the law and lived it perfectly. You think he passed the bar, bar exam? He did. He really did. He passed it so neat... They said, there's one more thing I need to do. I've got this law thing figured out. I did it. I stayed in communion with the Father. I got the power to do that. I did His will. Now, we've got to take care of the sin thing. So, He cleansed us with His blood when He died on Calvary. And God said, good work, man. Good work. You did the law perfectly? And then died for those guys? 
They're happy in heaven. I'm happy down here. <laughs> Is he the judge now? Do you think he's qualified to be the judge? Yes, he is qualified to be the judge. He lived the law. He died for us. He could have gone to heaven. He didn't. He died for us. Wow, what a guy. What a guy. Sorry. Okay. So there's going to be a day when the righteous judge comes. There's going to be an accounting. Please repent before that happens. Remember, He's not far away. He's interested in you. He wants to be found. He wants to be found. Don't hesitate. Do not hesitate. Well, where'd all this go? The Areopagus, thinking about this, thinking it over. And here's the bottom line. And when they heard the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Some mocked. That's, That's too weird for us. We never saw anybody come back from the dead. And you say your guy came back from the dead. Uh, I don't think so. Huh? <sighs> While others said, we will hear you again on this matter. That's the blow off. I wasn't really paying attention anyhow. Blow off. We'll get that later. Oh, dear. Wait a minute. There's going to be a righteous judgment. How long are you going to blow this thing off? It might not be safe. might not be safe. Okay. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them, Dionysius, the Arapagite, a woman named Damaris, and some others. And some others. So, it's like most evangelism. You only get a handful. Only a few are paying attention. Some mocked. And some said, uh, we'll do that later. Boy, I hope there was a later form. Probably planted some seeds, but it sounds like a blow-off. But some did. Some did come. And one of the guys that came, this Dionysus guy, he was an Aeropagite. He was one of these great philosophers. So Paul was putting it down. He got one of those guys. And some came with him. Because God's not far away. He's interested in you. Go for him. Grope for him a little bit. Ask, seek, knock. Ooh, knock. What's that great verse about knocking? How close is God? How close is Jesus? I stand at the door and knock. Why don't you open the door and I'll have supper with you? We'll talk it over. Be like the guys on the room for mass. We'll talk about the scriptures. We'll talk about your eternity. We'll talk about... All the great things I can do for you. You don't do stuff for me. I do stuff for you. He did all the work. We get all the benefits. Is that a great unknown God or what? That's a great unknown God. What do we call him? He's got, he's got a name. What do we call him? Lord. We call him Lord. Uh, he's got a son. Really personalized name. What do we call him? Jesus. He's got a title. What do we call him? Christ. The Messiah. He's not far away. He's knocking on the door. He's got great things for you. Open the door and have a hamburger with Jesus. You won't regret it. Okay? Closing song, please.